Talking Con, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego. Season 8, Episode 17. Mike Cicchini. Hello there, everybody. Welcome along to Talking Con, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego. No cup of tea for me today because it's all about hydrating. Um, it's been one of those days, one of those weekends. So I've got the two pint mug out. Uh, I'm on the, uh, the the cordial. I'm on the water. You should all drink more water. I think that's uh, one message we should take out of 2020. Welcome along to Talking Con. My name is Len Sultana. Each and every Sunday and uh, Wednesday during the lockdown. We are talking comics, co uh, comic cons, and con culture and pop culture in general. We are very lucky to be joined by a guest today who I think can provide some interesting perspective uh, on the pop culture landscape. A slightly different perspective than we've been having um, over recent episodes. We have been talking a lot of comics, uh, but let's actually talk now about um, the things that we enjoy beyond uh, the printed page. Let's talk films, let's talk television, and let's talk about the way that we consume and uh, enjoy that entertainment. Uh, very lucky to be joined by uh, Mike Cicchini, who's uh, joining us uh, from Den of Geek. Hello there, sir. How the devil are you? I'm good. It's good to see you. You too. When I invited Mike on, um, he did send a couple of messages going, really? Why, why, why me? Um, I, listen, um, if you are somebody that um, does what I do, which is um, find out as much information about uh, pop culture as possible, you go to a couple of go-to websites. And Den of Geek, for me, is definitely one of those um, go-to pages. Um, so it's, um, it's going to be great to talk to you about pandemic, about the summer, about how Den of Geek has um, kind of rolled on uh, throughout the course of the year. Um, if anything, I was even thinking just before we came on air that perhaps I should have invited my uh, editor-in-chief of my little uh, effort website, uh, the Convention Collective, because I think we all are kind of trying to work out um, how to maintain the energy of the year when it has been such a, a, a dire situation. But um, we'll get into all of that. First things first, let's do our three questions and a bit of a way of introducing uh, yourself to our audience. Number one, what is your cup of tea to hand? Do you have a cup of tea? What's your, what's your beverage of choice, sir? Uh, usually it would be green tea, but uh, I get nervous doing these things, so I've uh, <laughs> had myself an adult beverage. I've got a pint of, uh, of a, a local brew called Caught in the Spotlight from Single Cut Breweries in Queens, New York. You see, this is where, I mean, there's a couple of good friends of mine uh, that run a podcast, and it is mostly alcohol-based, and I do wonder <laughs> to myself, well, I mean, it's six o'clock, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, uh, um, it's adult beverage time somewhere on the planet, uh, I, I, uh, why on earth I've gone for a cup of tea? and gone for the slightly more uh, civilized uh, approach. I have no idea. But there we go. No, it's great to uh, see that you're, uh, uh, um, you're, you've got a drink to hand. The question I've been asking has um, been really relevant for people in the comics industry, obviously. But um, I'll ask you, uh, because you've been to a number of Comic-Cons uh, yourself, 
Uh, can you remember your first one that you went to as a fan? Did you go as a fan or did you go as a pro? What, what was your your story there? Uh, I think the first con I went to, I was probably eight or nine years old. So I was definitely wow. not a pro. Um, and it was in New York City. It was a creation convention. Uh, you know, and creation is still around doing cons. But in the in the 80s, you know, they were kind of the only thing. And I didn't even really know what I was going to. I just remember hearing about them because as a little kid, I was a big like Star Trek and Star Wars fan too. And um, I remember, I don't know if it was my mom or like my cool, like a cool aunt or somebody was like, you know, they have these things called conventions and that's where you can get, you know, if you wanted like a pair of like Mr. Spock ears or something, you know, and it's like you go somewhere and everything there is just for, uh, you know, is just for stuff that you're into. And this is a time where I, where like even going to a comic, like a dedicated comic book store was kind of a novelty. Um, See, so yeah, I was probably eight, nine, ten tops, um, and I remember what I bought too. I, I got a pair of like bootleg Spock ears because uh, I was going to be Mr. <laughs> Spock for for Halloween, and uh, and I think I got. Uh, I don't know if anybody remembers there were these there there was a very small action figure line for Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock that were like like they were three and three quarter inch. But they weren't like Star Wars figures at the time because they were like more articulated. They had like GI Joe style articulation. So I got I got a Kirk and a Klingon from that line, and that was like you know the the ten bucks that I had to spend or whatever it was. Um, but I think yeah, I remember it, those. It, it, as it well, might have been in the Penn Plaza. I think I remember those as well because they they were pretty pretty intense as well. They were pretty articulated all the way down to like hand movement as well. It was, it was yeah, they were quite impressive. Those things. Yeah, I wish I still had them. Uh, oh, don't we all? I mean, I'm trying. I'm yeah. trying to remember the quote. The quote. I think it's the Kevin Smith quote that that's pretty much what um, Comic Cons are now. It's us wandering around trying to refine re those uh, toys that we had when we were 10, 10 12, and uh, fill up a room with them uh, at a slightly older age. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the question I've been asking as well, again, slightly edited for yourself, um, is. Uh, those people that you do meet at conventions, uh, which leave you a little bit cotton-mouthed and a little bit weak in the knees. Now, obviously, for comic creators and the people I've been speaking to, it's those peers, those people that they've grown up reading. But for yourself, I can imagine it's also those that you interview, those that you've gone into a room and then all of a sudden the brain goes a little bit flatline and things, things go a little bit fuzzy around the edges. Uh, can you remember any major highlights of that particular feeling i'm pretty good about stuff like that but my first ever san diego was in 2013 and it was before it was right before the flash tv series was going to come out and the first press room i ever did was for the flash and i was so excited first that there was going to be a flash tv series to begin with but the fact that john wesley ship was involved and so everybody was excited. You know, I remember being at a table, and this is where I met uh, Andy from the Flash podcast. Um, you know, and and everybody was excited to talk to everybody in the cast. But I was like, I need to, I'm, I need to talk to John Wesley Ship because, like, this guy was my hero when I was a kid. And so when he sat down, and it was it was actually really nice. Like Andy and everybody else at the table knew that this was the person that I was hyped to talk to. 
Um, and, and I kind of, and I was, I was definitely nervous because it felt like I was meeting one of my, one of my childhood heroes. Um, but then I think it was 2019, I was at a party and Marv Wolfman was there and somebody, it was, uh, uh, somebody pointed him out to me. It's like, you know, that's Marv Wolfman over there. I was just talking to him. You should go say hi. And he was so nice. And I, I was just like, I almost started crying talking to Marvel. Oh, like, he was just, he was just so kind and so engaging. And this was not like an interview situation. This was just me going over to him and being like, man, like your work has meant so much to me. And like, you know, uh, particularly like his run on Adventures of Superman. Like everybody thinks of Marv Wolfman, they think of Teen Titans, and of course. But for me, it was his Superman work that like really, really got to me. And he was just so nice, and he acted like he had all the time in the world. And so, yeah, these were these were two ones that uh, specifically because of what they meant to me when I was younger. Uh, it just felt like something bigger than my job. That's fantastic. Thank you uh, for those stories. Um... If you can give a little bit of an overview then of um, your journalistic uh, history and certainly when it comes to uh, Den of Geek and how you got involved in the site and how you kind of progressed to become editor-in-chief, if you can give a little bit of background to that, please. Um, I, had done, uh, I had done writing in other fields under uh, other names, really. Like, I never really uh, expected to kind of get into this line of work until I stumbled into it. Uh, right around the time that the U.S. version of Den of Geek had launched, I was working. Um, I was working the table for the Jack Kirby Museum at New York Comic Con, and that was where um, that was where I met the people who were who were bringing Den of Geek to the U.S. And at the time, they were just looking for uh, to expand. They're like, "Oh, maybe we should do some comics coverage." And I'm like, "I'll write about comics." Um, and over the next few months, that was kind of what I did. And and then they started to, you know, they they wanted to, you know, they wanted to evolve and push things a little bit further. And I put myself forward for, uh, you know, for a managing editor job, which uh, I'm not entirely sure I was qualified for at the time. <laughs> um, but you know, uh, Jennifer Bartner Indec, who is who is the CEO of of you know of our company, uh, you know, showed a lot of faith in me and. Um, like I had actually, I was, I was uh, back in school at the time and I was about to graduate and I had, uh, I had like a panic attack in the library where I was like, Oh my God, like, what am I, what am I going to do? Like what? And I, I sent, I sent like a six page, you know, single spaced uh, Unabomber manifesto to, uh, you know, to the CEO being like, look, I know you're looking for this job. Like, this is why I think I would be good for this. Um, and my phone rang the next day, and um, and then you know she introduced me to Simon Brew, uh, who was the founder of Den of Geek, and now he's he's moved on to to film stories. Um, but you know Simon also showed a lot of faith in me, and um, you know we just kind of we just kind of went from there, and uh, and I started putting together. It took a while to kind of put the team together, uh, but over the next couple years, the the core of 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 Den of Geek really, uh, really formed. And uh, it's been it's the best gig I've ever had. Because, uh, I mean, I can imagine it's a very similar um, setup uh, in, the, in the States as it is for the UK when it comes to Den of Geek in that the year has proven 
a tough challenge uh, to keep engaged with an audience uh, in terms of the stories that you uh, you're, you're posting on the site, uh, the stories that you're commissioning your editors, uh, your writers to uh, to to put forward, um, and also to try and keep a a, a positive vibe uh, on the site, uh, because I can imagine certainly around the March April time there was that period where you were just feeling that it was just negative story after negative story that, that cancelled um, productions put back dates and I mean for example when I was because um, obviously the convention collective is more about uh, convention news and I actually had a contributor going I'm not too sure I can do this anymore because it's just non-stop cancelled show put back show and all of this what was it like around the time when things really started to go sideways when you realized that you had to keep a real close eye on the stories that you were posting on Den of Geek just to keep some kind of positive momentum going. It was, uh, it was extra tricky because we had literally just merged the US and UK versions of the site and launched a new design for the site. And so we were, we thought we were off to the races. And then like, it was literally a week later that things started shutting down. Um, we had printed a magazine for South by Southwest that nobody will ever see. Um, yeah. All of these things were happening at once. And um, so our initial, I mean, I'll be honest, like there was, there was a mild sense of panic internally of like, wow, you know, here we are, like we just, we're, we're trying to put our best foot forward now as, uh, as an outlet. And what is the world even looking like and are we even relevant to anything and what like what are we doing with our lives you know yeah um, so you know there was definitely an initial scramble of like okay like what is this what does this look like now is this just like we just recommend stuff for people to watch while they're while they're home you know what I mean or like and and you know the reality of the internet is and Leonard you certainly know this bad news like bad news sells, you know, like you put like people don't want to hear about a show getting renewed. They want to hear about a show getting canceled, you know, and that's never been the Den of Geek style. Um, you know, like, of course we report, I mean, like, you know, it doesn't mean that everything we write is positive. It's not like we only write positive reviews and it's not like we don't report bad news or unpleasant things in the industry when, when it has to be done, but like bad news sells. But then it's also like, when when everything is bad news, then what do we do? And it's it took it took a while to kind of settle into that. And fortunately, you know, I'm very lucky in that on the movie side we have David Crow and Don Kay, uh, who are both really really savvy guys that like you know can can speak about the state of of you know the movie industry and and you know and cinemas and box office in in intelligent and engaging ways that will matter to the audience. And we realized, okay, this isn't about the news itself. It really is about how, what are we bringing to this? And over the months that have gone on, we've, we've just kind of learned to adapt more of what we cover to that. Um, but it's sad. Uh, it, you know, it's unpleasant. You know, like we knew San Diego wasn't going to happen, but it still hurt when they made the call. It still hurt when that weekend came and went, and we weren't all out there. Um, 
So it's. Uh, well, I, I, I want to get into that. I, I want to get into that as well because uh, that was one of the strangest weekends, um, especially leading up to it. As considering that, I mean, I've I've got press pass as well. Um, <laughs> for some reason, I've managed to get myself press. They've seen fit to give me a press pass uh, for San Diego, and um, they were actually and they behaved as though the event was going ahead for real IRL. In other words. We were getting the emails through, and it was almost as if we were all going to be heading out to San Diego that particular uh, that weekend. And it seemed particularly strange to get those uh, emails through. Um, the thing about San Diego um, is it is a major news hub for updates for pop culture going forward. What did you get out of San Diego at home um, in terms of any kind of updates? Because can, when it's something where everyone is seeing it online anyway, how can then sites like yourself and like myself as well, to a very much smaller extent, how can we then make that news relevant? And what what happened with that when that vacuum happened when there was all that news not taking place? Uh, I think everybody was a little disappointed with San Diego at home, uh, both. Like certainly in the industry, like certainly in my industry, I, I, I um, you know, I didn't really sense a whole lot of buzz and excitement about it. Um, you know, maybe it was the lack of major, major studio involvement. I don't really think it was the fault of the organizers. I think it was really just at that point, the entire world has been on Zoom calls for the last, you know, three, four months just to survive. Uh, so the idea of, of doing these, uh, you know, uh, of looking at more of them over the weekend might not have been that appealing. Um, it didn't feel like, you know, it, there wasn't that spontaneousness or that unpredictability to it. And it was it was tough. It was certainly tough for me to, to generate uh, that kind of like that kind of excitement. I think there is a way forward there, um, you know. And I think, for example, something like DC Fandom managed to, uh, you know, manage to generate that excitement. Uh, you know, for, conversely, I think nobody expected DC Fandom to really be any good. And, you know, <laughs> it was like, ah, this is going to be a weekend-long infomercial for, you know, for Warner Brothers and AT&T and whatever. And instead, it was really slick. And they dropped a lot of really big, exciting stuff on people. And, and the pace was rapid fire. Like, it felt like it felt like those Saturdays in Hall H where you're just like, how are we even going to keep up with all of this? So well, I think also um, the, the thing about DC fandom as well is, um, and the, the advantage that it had was because it was technically live. You couldn't rewind mm -hmm. it. You yeah. couldn't, I mean, you, you kind of got it. You knew you were going to be getting it again, perhaps in about eight hours time when it kind of like all looped back around again, but it was kind of, there was no rewinding. It was only available in one area. It wasn't something like uh, San Diego at home where you, it was on YouTube and you could just watch it anytime you liked. It was very focused on that weekend. And I think that's where they definitely, uh, they, they had the attention of the world's media on them at that particular point. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I really don't know what the way forward is for all this. Hopefully we won't have to think about these things in these terms for much longer. You know, I, I do believe we're closer to the end of this nightmare than we are at the beginning of it now. Um, but I still don't know if, if we'll be in San Diego in July. Um, so it's tricky. Yeah. 
Um, for yourself, when did you have that epiphany of things being a lot bigger than um, you than we all expected? Because I think there was that that moment when something got cancelled or an event got postponed or a film got um, put back uh, when we just suddenly all went with the light bulb moment this is something incredibly serious that will have long-reaching and overreaching effects for me it was it was when when they when they canceled south by southwest i was like oh man um, and it wasn't just because we had literally just sent a magazine off to the printer the day before um, but it, it was one of those moments where it felt like, I mean, it felt like the world was ending, right? Like, we're just like, what does this mean? You know, like, what, what is this? Is this end time stuff? You know, and of course, since then we've realized that's not the case and we know how, you know, how this can be handled, even though people don't want to handle it the way they're supposed to. Um, but that was, that was a moment where I just distinctly remember walking away from my computer and just like staring out the window and 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 trying to figure out what does what is what is this what is this world going to be now, um, and then I think things settled down pretty quickly. Uh, you know, once it became apparent that shows were able to complete their production productions remotely, um, you know, when it became apparent that things like masks and social distancing do in fact work, uh, that this isn't gonna <laughs> this isn't gonna walk in through your front door and get you. Um, so and now look stuff started stuff started going back into production late in the summer right like that was encouraging um networks and sh like streaming services ad adjusted i think releasing the boys weekly uh was a big smart move by amazon they're going to do the same thing with the expanse like they know how to tease this stuff out and by the time we get to february march the entertainment calendar will almost look normal um except for theatrical releases yeah. but it, it, all this feels like we're talking about something that happened three years ago now. Well, I mean, I think it's safe to say 2020 time has been incredibly fluid. Uh, I yeah. mean, considering that, like I say, that everything started happening um, uh, back in March. I mean, that was a good seven, eight decades ago. And f frankly, <laughs> it just it, it, it feels like uh, a very strange, uh, fluid time. And I think that's the... Uh, certainly one of the reasons why I wanted to get you on because the the, the shifting landscape of uh, pop culture, uh, the fact that things were have been changing on an almost day-to-day -day basis in much the same way as it has been for all of uh, uh, lifestyles. Um, what has it been like for um, sites like Den of Geek in terms of keeping a track on that kind of thing and uh, keeping an eye on the way that... Um, it, when a show or a film gets put back, it's not just a case of a, a shifting schedule. It's then you're looking at further on down the line. You're looking at 2021 and how it's all going to start concertining into that year and how, for example, this year for the, the, the major summer season, uh, for, for the major uh, holiday season, it has been completely wiped off the map with the exception of one film which is still going to be going to streaming anyway. Um, thank you very much indeed, uh, Warner Brothers, on that one. Um, I think the question then is, what's it been like in terms of Den of Geek to kind of look to the future and predict what's going to be happening? Or is that something that you've tried to stay away from because the ground is just so uncertain? 
for movies, we've we've been a little bit more careful. Uh, and if you look at if you look at the analysis, uh, you know, the kinds of analysis that that uh, David Crow and Don Kay have been putting out on the movie section, like it's been pretty conservative stuff. Um, but with TV, TV is relatively unaffected. Uh, what we found with movies is people generally are, uh, you know, unless it's a really, really huge thing like Milan, for example, people aren't, people don't seem to be shelling out the, the money for the premium VOD releases, um, you know, which means that a lot of worthy, you know, interesting stuff just isn't getting the kinds of eyeballs on it that you would expect it to. And of course that has a trickle down effect into how people determine what their coverage is going to be. You know, like unless you're Hamilton or Borat two, or, you know, uh, Milan was like almost the exception. And I'm curious to see now, like if numbers will be released for new mutants now that that's on streaming. Um, and of course we expect wonder woman will be huge, but it feels like, people will go out and pay for stuff if they're going out to do it, you know, if they're buying a ticket. I don't know if audiences are yet kind of conditioned to pay a premium price for a film in their home. Um, I don't know if we're there yet. I think Tenet, I think Tenet's uh, streaming release in a couple of weeks will be a big test of that. Um, but like, you know, movies that you would ordinarily expect to make you know, even a modest, like say, thirty million dollar opening weekend or something. I don't know. I don't know if they're pulling in that money uh, on on premium VOD. I really don't. Yeah. So, uh, and I haven't look. I haven't dug into the numbers myself. There are much smarter people than me out there who probably have this information. <laughs> well, I mean, certainly for myself, uh, the the two films, uh, and you've mentioned them both, which were looking at the template moving forward, and also the way that culture was in consuming its pop culture um, and the way society was looking at um, the things to enjoy were Milan and Tenant. Um, Milan obviously went uh, and shifted its model to uh, Disney Plus and then Tenant, which I'm, I'm trying to work out if it was a Warner Brothers, well, I'm certain it was a Warner Brothers decision, but I'm certain Christopher Nolan had a lot of noise to make about insisting that they wanted to keep, keep that big screen um, experience. Did they make the mistake by not putting that on streaming or did they just feel that it was going to be a strong enough pull for people to come out and enjoy in a big screen experience? Uh, personally, I think it was a mistake. Um, I think it damaged, honestly, I think it tarnished Christopher Nolan's brand. Uh, you know, I think it was pretty clear that his needs and desires as a filmmaker, and obviously he is the you know, the gem in the Warner Brothers director stable, right? Um, I think I think it was a mistake. Um, you know, I think they generated a lot of goodwill by doing a simultaneous, uh, you know, premium. It doesn't mean put it on HBO Max for free. You know, I understand that there's that there are concerns here, but from my from my vantage point, I'm like this just this just seems irresponsible. It seems like it seems born of hubris and it, it feels irresponsible. Like we covered Tenet because fortunately, you know, we have we have contributors in the UK. And what I told everybody, you know, Rosie Fletcher, who is who is our UK editor, 
you know, she she saw it. You know, we had we had a contributor see it, and we came up with a bunch of great coverage around it. But what I told everybody was, I said, you do not have to you do not have to attend these screenings if you do not feel safe attending these screenings. We'll cover this thing. We'll cover this thing when it hits Blu-ray. That's it. Like I was not going to make anybody do anything they didn't feel safe doing. Uh, you know, our U.S. team was like, well, what if Warner Brothers has a screening? Blah blah blah. I said, if they do and you feel safe, then then we'll talk about it. If if you don't feel safe doing it, we will not cover this movie. Um, so I, I don't really see what the harm would have been in charging twenty or thirty bucks uh, in late August, early September. Uh, I certainly would have paid for it. Uh, I'm looking forward to paying for it in a couple weeks. Uh, but I don't know. I feel pretty strongly about um, studios really have not just the opportunity, but the responsibility to help people stay home, to give people a reason to stay home right now. And, um, and, and they blew it. Yeah. Uh, and we've got a question from Boinbound, who's uh, joined us from Periscope. Uh, how do you think streaming is going to change the industry in the time of COVID? But I think that kind of also ties into that question of um, whether streaming is now the de facto um, method of enjoying pop culture uh, and enjoying films and television, considering that I've seen the numbers uh, when it comes to uh, the American uh, cinema in industry, um, and it's looking incredibly dire. Um, do you feel that the big screen experience can survive this? That was incredibly ne that, that was pretty hard. <laughs> that, was, that was a tough question to say out loud. Good God. Um, because I'm a huge fan of the big screen experience. And I don't know for myself the next time I'll be able to go into a cinema. Um, I think I think it can survive. It, it can't survive unless the federal government in this country actually steps up and and you know and does something for businesses, large and small, which they have been reluctant to do throughout this. Uh, I I do think, um, for example, people are always going to want to go to the movies it might become more of a boutique experience. I think what we might end up seeing is something more along the lines of, uh, you know, the things that like an Alamo draft an Alamo draft house offers like a more curated selection of things. You know, you get your drinks, you get some, some higher quality food. Um, you know, because I feel like the movie industry in general, I, I think we could all appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. From, I from mean, a, like, you know, from a experience, we could all appreciate that. Yeah. I, so I could see this happening and like, you know, the, Look, the mid-budget movies and movies that are not blockbusters have have been struggling in recent years anyway, you know, and like we, we've been moving more and more towards these models of like, well, your local multiplex, you know, 15 of its 20 screens are going to be devoted to screening, you know, uh, Endgame or the latest Star Wars movie or something. So in some ways, like the writing has been on the wall in that regard. And that's, that's a cultural thing that is independent of COVID. And it's another problem that has to be addressed at some point. Um, but theaters are going to have to do a little bit, little bit of work to, to get people back in, in the quantities that I think they need to consider themselves as successful as they have been in the past. Um, you know, I know there's been talk of allowing studios to have theater chains again. Um, I wonder if, 
you know, I wonder about the prospect of a Warner Brothers or a Disney owned theater chain that shows repertory stuff, you know, because I love I like I'm look, I'm lucky I live in New York City, which means if I want to, you know, if I if I want to see an old movie on the big screen, I can go down to the film forum or I can go to the IFC Center and be like, you know, wow, they're showing, you know, they're showing RoboCop at midnight at the IFC Center. You know, I'm definitely going to do that. Um, maybe there's, you know, m maybe things like this become more commonplace. Um, but it's going to be, they're, they're in for another rough year, I think, because even with the vaccine and everything else, I can't imagine anybody going back, uh, going back to a movie theater in, in, in numbers before Q3 or Q4 2021. Sure. Uh, I mean, that's an interesting suggestion about um, the the studios going uh, possibly going back into the the, the, the cinema business. Um, at the end of the day, however, um, we are very fast approaching a point where, if we're going to see those screens stay open, it may be the only option that we uh, that uh, we have. Considering that uh, I know that AMC, um, which I, it's it's very it's struggling. In a huge fashion, I understand. Cineworld, uh, it's just, it's a, it's a very tough situation. To return to the question then, uh, how you think streaming is going to change the industry. Um, do you think uh, simultaneous cinema and streaming is going to be the, the model moving forward? Is Wonder Woman the first real big test for this? Because while we, we, we kind of had it with Milan, although that went straight to Disney+, Plus. Um, the the whole idea of the the simultaneous release between a big screen and streaming, it's yet to be tested with a major tentpole movie, and I think Wonder Woman eighty four is the first one which is going to test that moving forward. I think the question I'm asking is not only is that going to be the model moving forward, but also should it be considering that we are, like you say, hopefully seeing the end of this nightmare uh, approaching us uh, with the, the news of vaccines. I think in any case, if nothing else, the theatrical window is going to be shortened. And we saw Universal cut a deal where, you know, the theatrical window on some releases could be as short as something like 17 days. And I think that will make sense for certain releases, particularly like middle and smaller budget films. You know, like Universal is perfect for that because – Think about how many great horror movies Blumhouse releases uh, through Universal in the course of the year. And, you know, are all of these necessarily must-see for most people on, like, on the big screen in a crowded theater? Probably not. You know, like, there's plenty of people, myself included, who like having the experience of seeing, of seeing something like that on the big screen and like, like, you know, getting the, you know, the audience gasps and everything with, with, but... But middle and smaller budget movies having, say, a two to three week theatrical window before going to streaming, I think is only going to help get more eyes on those movies. Um, it doesn't necessarily help theaters in the long term, but if it means that more people are going to have more entertainment options and that they're watching more than just the biggest blockbusters of the year, uh, I think that's a good thing. If it also means that uh, certain movies that might not have had a, a theatrical release at all, you know, maybe get a really short one, and those are day and date, I'd, I'd be in favor of that too. Um, look, I, 
I love I love the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I love Star Wars. It's obviously good for business from a Den of Geek standpoint. I love it personally. Um, but we we do want to see more people getting you know like getting their eyes on on a wider variety of genre movies too. Sure. <laughs> I like Clyde's comment here. Clyde's comment is rather cool. We have boutique theaters here in San Diego, and they're great, except when people get drunk. Well, I think that's pretty much uh, yeah, that's pretty much yeah. uh, the case. Toby's uh, got a comment as well. Um, a suggestion to the theater companies: open up more drive-in theaters. That seems to have been um, something that has uh, seen a return um, in 2020, and um, yeah, it's. Uh, uh, again, it's that whole idea of having a, a communal experience, which I, for myself is part of the big screen experience. Um, and uh, Clydeen's also put in another comment. Um, I'm not sure if my message got through before, but I did pay $30 to see Mulan on Disney Plus, and I was happy to do so. I would have loved to have seen it in the theater, but it wasn't worth risking my life. Absolutely. Um, the thing that we as um, pop culture enthusiasts uh, for myself and for yourself, no doubt, have been um, seeing over the last couple of years is the, uh, the the releases coming out in Christmas, releases coming out in the summer, and that chase to the billion-dollar movie, the billion-dollar the billion dollar mark. Um, so your Endgame, your Star Wars, etc. Have we seen the end of the billion-dollar movie? That's a very good question. Um, I think I think in the near term we have, yeah. Um, I think Wonder Woman was probably Warner Brothers' best shot at a billion dollar movie uh, in 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 the immediate future. I mean, like as hyped as I am for Dune, uh, which was probably my most dude, anticipated. Dude, movie. you have you have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was that. When pandemic was kicking in, I actually turned around and said, "If there's one film that would actually get me going to a cinema, it was Dune." Um, I don't know if that would still be the case if it was yeah. released as is, but you, you have no idea, man. Uh, that that <laughs> one hurt. That one hurt when it got when when that when yeah. it got announced. Me too. But is that a billion dollar movie? Like knowing what you know about Dune. Like as awesome as that movie looks, does that look like a billion dollar movie to you? Does that look like something that's just gonna like pack them in like every night? Like I think Dune will do very well when it's released. Um, but you know, I, I, th that th that never struck me as like a, a late December uh, you know billion dollar chaser to me. It just it's just too cerebral and weird. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I I really don't know what the next billion dollar movie is. Even looking at the the, the immediate schedule for for the MCU. Um, that was going to no, be the, the, that was yeah. that was going to be the question because it does affect uh, the MCU uh, because the, the 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 way that the MCU and the model has been with the numbers and people going in to see films like Endgame and going in to see uh, and the the numbers and the interest of the MCU generated and building and building and building you reach the end of phase three we then have pandemic just shut everything down. At which point I then question whether we're going to see the films that we have had from the MCU purely because they're not going to want to invest that much money into making a big spectacle when there's going to be nobody who's going to go and see it. Well, there's not going to be as many people as going to go see it. Well, I tell you, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. 
like, my, well, I'll tell you why though, because, you know, possibly my favorite MCU flick is is Winter Soldier, which is which is maybe the smallest scale of uh, you know by Marvel standards of of all of these films. Um, and I've said forever that in order for superhero movies to survive and thrive in the future, they have to be more willing to take chances on like mid-budget concepts. Um, so obviously, you know, Captain America movies are not a going concern anymore, but you don't need to spend $200 million to make a Captain America movie. You know, you don't need to spend, I mean, frankly, I don't think you need to spend $200 million to make a Spider-Man movie, but I, that might just be my personal preferences of wanting smaller scale Spider-Man stories. Um, so if, if it means Marvel gets, you know, if it means that of their four releases a year, you know, only one every two years is really chasing that billion dollar mark. Uh, I think that could only be a good thing creatively. Okay. And the follow-up question to that, and considering that the films that have come out this year, the films that have been able to come out this year, should there be an Oscars in 2021? Um, I, 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 I like the fact that I'm asking questions where you're just going, whoa, okay. <laughs> um, I, I'm, not, I'm not qualified to answer that. Uh, it's funny because we're even having a, a debate internally on Den of Geek right now about what is eligible for inclusion in our best movies of the year for 2020. Um, because there is stuff that has had either extremely limited theatrical releases or will have even more limited Christmas Day theatrical releases specifically so that they can have Oscar consideration. Um, but it's like if, if nobody in the audience has been able to actually see these movies, if they're not getting, if they're not getting streaming releases as well, they don't have to be free streaming releases. Like people can pay to seek out their art, you know, um, if they're not doing that, you know, what is, what is, what does that mean? So um, I can't really speak to, to the Academy. I don't know what that would possibly look like. I do think from a public perception standpoint, it's going to end up with, with a lot of movies, you know, a lot of potentially great movies like one night in Miami or Nomadland or whatever that people just have not seen, you know? So like when, when the Oscars come around in, in the spring, you know, how many of these films will, will the audience have been able to see at that point? Um, yeah. And I don't know. I don't know what to make of that. Uh, I'm sure that if, uh, if David Crow, our our uh, our head movie critic and movies editor, is watching, he's probably tearing his hair out over my answer right now. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's safe to say that we're not going to be having Artemis Fowl nominated. So, I think we're, we're safe in that. <laughs> Sonic the Hedgehog, yeah. Or Sonic <laughs> the Hedgehog, which I think, uh, yeah. Um, I'm really curious as to what the um, the 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 posts that you've been putting up on Den of Geek how things have shifted in terms of what people, I mean, you obviously um, have been seeing the, 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 the hit rate, you've been seeing the posts and the viewing numbers. Uh, I'm curious as to how that has shifted uh, over the course of the summer. Um, has there been more interest in gaming um, posts? Has there been more interest in the streaming posts? Uh, what's been the, um, the perspective of uh, the audience coming to Den of Geek? Um, and how's that shifted with everyone being pretty much stuck at home? It, you know, it hasn't shifted as much as you would as much as you would think. Um, you know, obviously, movies is struggling a little from the, you know from just like a pure volume standpoint, but that is just simply because there isn't as much 
you know, if you look at it, like I look at everything based on what the calendar looks like that year. So, you know, there's there's just simply less to bring in the volume that we're associated with that year, uh, like this year. It doesn't mean that the um, doesn't mean that the interest isn't there. And it doesn't mean that, um, you know, that the work isn't being put in by my team or that the quality is any different. Um, there has been an uptick uh, in games, for example. But I don't even know if that's necessarily pandemic related because because our games team, which is uh, led by John Saavedra, our games editor, has has been working really hard over the last two or three years to make games a genuine destination on the site and not just you know not just one piece of something that a site that's primarily movies and tv does so yeah is some of that probably driven by people looking for more stuff that they can do at home yeah absolutely and like the next gen consoles just launched sure but i think it i think it really it, it really just speaks to you know, the, the, the quality of the work that's being done by, you know, by my team. The fact that the fact that our movies department is still, you know, movie, movies is movies. Look, movies is always like the biggest thing on the site that hasn't changed. You know, yeah. like like TV is the thing we can count on all the time. But more people come to us for movies than anything else. And that's because of the, the strength of the quality of the work that that uh, that my team puts out there. So, um you know, any any fluctuations in volume, uh, I always just blame the entertainment calendar, um, <laughs> you know, and and, you know, things will things will normalize uh, as studios get used to, you know, whatever this new reality is until we can all, all go back to theaters. Which kind of begs the question, because that was going to be where I was going to head into next, because let's talk about 2021. Um, which is why I was kind of asking about the interest of what uh, people are coming to the site to read, because in 2021, um, we're going to be seeing a lot of uh, films that have been pushed into the the, the, uh, the calendar. It's going to get into a very, it's going to get a very packed uh, 12 months and the rest. Um, what's been the conversations within Denegeek in terms of how that's going to happen how that's even going to work with the with um a major release coming out every week uh if not <laughs> twice a week uh that will be that's that's uh, the best problem you could possibly have in my line Good of work point, yeah um you know both both professionally and personally the idea that that 2021 can just be you know a an absolute embarrassment of cinematic riches, uh, you know, I, that, that's, uh, th there's really nothing to worry about there. Um, I think the, the real question is, is like how much stuff really gets shuffled around? Like is Marvel really going to still try and release four movies in 2021? You know, will, will, um, you know, that kind of next tier of blockbusters, like for me, that's, I'm very curious about the new Mortal Kombat movie. I'm really curious about, you know, Snake Eyes um, and, of course, something like Dune, which has the potential to be, you know, the, the big sci-fi franchise for grown-ups, I guess, is probably what the studio is betting on. Um, I, I, don't, I don't see any downsides here. Uh, I don't see any downsides for the audience, and I certainly don't see any downsides for people in my line of work. Okay. Um, when do you think that will start kicking in then? Uh, because we're still having very severe numbers uh, on both sides of the Atlantic and across the globe. Um, 
while I guarantee a lot of people will be looking at January 1st, almost like a, a line in the sand, let's return to some kind of normality. At the end of the day, that's simply not the case. It's It can't happen like that. Um, we have to be realistic about when we are going to be returning to some kind of normality. When I talk about a packed calendar year, I could even be talking just about a packed calendar summer uh, or Q3, Q4. Um, when do you feel uh, that we could start seeing some kind of equilibrium when it comes to pop culture? Uh... In my head, I have uh, an imaginary goalpost of 100 days into 2021. Uh, I'm not basing this on anything scientific. Uh, I'm basing it on, you know, when I expect vaccine rollouts uh, on, on both ends of the Atlantic to, to start taking effect. Um, you know, even though I, I don't know when I'm going to have a vaccine in my arm, but when enough of the population starts getting this, that, you know, even if we can't relax all of the practices that we're doing right now, that we can start to gather in certain ways with a clear head and less, you know, uh, less risk. So that's spring, 100 days. Um, and then I think with that, you have to tack on another four to six, four to six weeks. Um, so... I'll be honest, Leonard. I don't expect I don't expect San Diego to happen. If it happens, if it happens, and there's a vaccine in my arm, I'll be there. You know, as for the rest of my team, my, my policy is going to apply, which is if you don't feel safe doing anything, you don't have to do it. I don't care if it's a screening. I don't care if it's a con. No questions will be asked. Um, but if there's a vaccine in my arm and I feel safe, I'll be there. Um, yeah. But that's kind of like that's kind of the earliest I could really see like. Normal, normal is July. Well, I mean, that the, the two conditions for myself were a vaccine and a certain Cheeto being voted out of office. So th thankfully, we've had one um, finger and we're hearing great news about the second. Uh, so uh, fingers crossed. Um, I'm I, I'm want, I mean, I'm want, I'm wanting to get over to the States. Um, I mean, my big fear about uh, the uh, election was the, the tone of the country um, and how what enough people voting for that um, that, that um, ideology kind of spoke to about the tone of the country. But um, I love the optimism of the states. Um, uh, I love the optimism of uh, a vaccine being uh, rolled out, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm fully hoping that uh, I'll be out there in July. Uh, Aaron Nabus is joining us. Hello, Aaron. Um, Oscars will be all, uh, sort of like the Eisners. A lot of people probably won't know much about the winners, but at the end, they'll have a guide to watch the winning movies online. That's uh, a, a good way of uh, taking it on it. Um, yeah, I, I think for myself, I, it's, it's definitely the reason why I wanted to have you on the show is because we're – we are very much the uh, the Nicolas Cage on the shifting teeter tot uh, in uh, National Treasure. Whether we could be falling off uh, into the chasm, or whether we'll actually be striving to uh, to get to the treasure. Um, and sites like Den of Geek um, allow us to have a real sense of where we are uh, as a culture. And um, that's the reason why I go to them, and that's the reason why I really appreciate the work that you do. 
so thank you so much indeed for coming on. Thank you so much indeed for doing what you do. And um, I look forward to reading more from Denner Geek uh, going forward. Is, is there anywhere that you would like to point people? Where's uh, the best place to follow what you do and um, where, where to go? I mean, please uh, check out denageek.com, of course, and check us out on all the major social platforms. And if anybody wants to, I don't know, hear me complain about the state of things, I'm on Twitter at Way Out Stuff. Um, but yeah, th thank you for having me, Leonard. And I, I really hope I get to see you in San Diego this year. I hope I get to see everybody in San Diego this year. Um, I never get tired of it. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's the best part of my job. It's, it reminds, it reminds everybody why we do what we do. And, uh, yeah, I, I really hope we get to do it again. Uh, it'll feel like a real celebration this time. Absolutely. I mean, I'm really curious to see what the, the landscape of, um, comic cons will be because, uh, I think I, I was, we were talking about this before we came on air about the whole idea that, um, uh, the, the, this is this is the DJ in me. Uh, the way that you can judge a strength and uh, vibrancy of a town is how well its pubs are doing. And I think uh, the way that you see or know how pop culture is doing is the way that people celebrate it, the fandoms and the Comic-Cons, because it is a <laughs> oh, an IRL representation of how people are the mood of them, how they're enjoying things. And I think Comic-Cons, they reflect that. And uh, so, yeah, the, uh, I'm really curious to see what Comic-Cons are going to be like next year, uh, whether we're going to be seeing reduced numbers, whether we're going to be seeing just a, a muted response, people going through the door. I, 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 I'm curious to see what the tone of uh, a Comic-Con is going to be like when they reopen. Uh, so, no, I look forward to seeing you there as well. Mike, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining me. And um, yeah, take care and uh, keep doing what you do, sir. Thank you so much. I'll see you online. Take care. Brilliant stuff. Uh, do go check out uh, uh, certainly the, uh, the, 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 the site, denofgeek.com. But um, let's have that uh, up again. Way Out Stuff is his uh, Twitter. Go and check out what he does uh, because um, he's, a, he's a cool dude. And I, I, that was great to have him on. Thank you very much indeed for uh, joining us today. Um, we have ourselves a bit of a um, special show that's going to be taking place uh, tomorrow. Um, that's if I'm feeling up for it, but that's the hope. <laughs> Basically, um, we're going to be doing a special uh, drop-in incidental episode talking to Jason Inman and Ashley Robinson. Um, this is about Jupiter, J Jupiter Jet, and the, uh, the, the latest volume of that graphic novel, uh, which uh, recently went out on Kickstarter, uh, but uh, they're now taking it to print. Um, we're going to be talking to Jason and Ashley about that. Slightly different time to what we usually do. Usually we're 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. GMT. However, Ashley and Jason are not going to be available uh, on the West Coast until after 4 p.m. Uh, in, in California. In other words, it's going to be 4 p.m. Um, uh, Pacific, midnight GMT. So a bit of a late late one for me, uh, but I'm going to set up somewhere quiet so I'm not disturbing the rest of the house. Going to be talking to Jason and Ashley about uh, uh, Jupiter Jet. Looking forward to, uh, to uh, talking to them. Um, possibly something a little bit different about uh, the White Noise Studios uh, uh, live stream. We've got to kind of get that uh, detail sorted out. More information about that at the beginning of next week. Um, 
but uh, certainly looking forward to announcing the special guests which you're going to be having on Wednesday, uh, not only the 25th, but also the 2nd of December as well. Keep your eyes open. Follow me on social media. Englishman SDCC, of course, will try and get as much information to you as quick as we possibly can um, about our shows. But certainly for tomorrow, Jason and Ashley talking Jupiter Jet. Uh, Aaron is uh, joining in and saying Jupiter Jet is a great read. I'm a big fan of the original book. Yet to read this new one, so look, looking forward to uh, talking to them about that. And that's us. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Thanks to Mike for joining us. Thanks for you for watching today. Talking Con, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego, returns next Sunday. Uh, hopefully you can join us for that. From me to you, we'll see you later. Bye. Talking Con, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego is a production of the Convention Collective. Visit the Convention Collective for all of your convention news and updates. And support the podcast at patreon.com Englishman SDCC.